upcoming revival services, but we also want to let our radio and internet listeners know about our wonderful revival services coming up. We will have revival services Sunday, September the 22nd at 11 a.m. and 6.30, and then we'll continue Monday, September 23rd, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, until September 27th at 7 p.m. And our guest speaker is Reverend Mark Bain. Our soloist is Renee Welch. And we're thankful to have our many worship teams, our Rosewood worship teams, lead us in those wonderful services. And so we want to, of course, invite you who are a regular part of our Rosewood Church family and those who are part of our extended family through the radio and um, other ministries that listen to the messages week by week. Amen. In fact, uh, just a couple of people yesterday at a funeral that I was a part of from Brampton came to me and said, Pastor Nick, we listen to your Rosewood Church radio broadcast every week. And so we give God thanks for our radio listeners. And now today we are delighted to once again have our wonderful Reverend Dr. Lisa Otar bring the message, third message, in preparation for revival. Amen. Warmly welcome her once again. Well, good morning to each one of you. One evening at a crowded bus stop, people were waiting anxiously to get on the bus to get home after a long day. While it was crowded and people were pushing and rubbing up against each other, and unfortunately, after everyone boarded the bus, the last person to get on the bus was a very rough-looking older gentleman. Well, as he got on the bus, he went to take out his wallet to pay his fare and noticed his wallet had been stolen at the bus stop. Well, he got so angry after waiting, getting on the bus, and not having his wallet. And everyone in the bus could see him getting angry as he yelled, whoever stole my wallet, bring it back to me right now. No one is getting off the bus until I get my wallet back. He says, and I don't want what happened in 1987 to repeat itself. Well, the people were scared and started to panic. They didn't know what he was going to do. And so finally, the pickpocketer came up, brought his wallet back, and apologized. Well, he calmed down, sat down, and a curious man sitting next to him said, so what happened in 1987? He said, someone stole my wallet and I had to walk home. <laughs> well, today we are on the third part in the series, Get Ready for Revival. And as we get ready for our revival services, we're trusting and praying that the Lord would do great things in and through us and in that time and speak to us. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 4 as we read the first 11 verses. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1 to 11. 
And if you are able to, would you stand as we read God's word? 1 Samuel chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed excuse me, their forces to meet Israel, and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Shiloh so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all the shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp, they said. We're in trouble. Nothing like this has ever happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the desert. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his own tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The Ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, indeed, we thank you for this day and for this time that we can look into your word and hear from you. And Lord, we pray that you would quiet our hearts, that you would focus our minds upon you, and that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would come and speak and move in each of our lives. And so, God, we just commit ourselves to you, and we ask for you to move and help us to be obedient, to respond to your leading. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Feel free to be seated. Well, you've heard that the Israelites were God's chosen people, and God had his hand of protection and favor upon them. And throughout the battles that they faced after leading Egypt, God had given them victory time and time again. That the battles that they faced, that the nations that they fought against, God helped deliver them and helped them to be victorious in all of their battles. Now, they had faced the Philistines in this battle here, and we learn of the Philistines the first time as we read the story of David and Goliath. And the Philistines were a very fierce people. They were well-trained in battle, and they were big and scary. They knew how to fight. But the Israelites went in with confidence, knowing They've had all of these victories. They've won all of these battles. So the Philistines, we have nothing to worry about. They go into this battle, 
And instead of winning the way that they had won in every battle that they had faced, basically, with all the people they had faced, they were defeated. The Philistines defeated them, and they wondered why. They wondered what was happening. In verse 2, it says, the Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel, and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. After the Philistines killed about 4,000, they retreated and went back to their tents. And as they went back into their camp, the elders of Israel started asking the question when they returned, saying, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? The elders wondered, why did the Lord bring defeat upon us? Why aren't we winning? Why is the Lord doing this to us? You see, what they were doing was they were blaming God for the fact that they were losing. They were blaming God for the fact that they were defeated by the Philistines. And in order for us to get ready for revival, one of the things that we need to do is stop blaming God for our problems. Stop blaming God for our problems, for the things that happen to us. Many times when good things happen to us, when great things happen, people can easily credit good luck or coincidence. But as soon as something bad happens, people are very quick to say, God did this. God allowed that to happen. God caused that to happen and blame God for certain things that happen in their life. This is what the Philistines were doing. They were bl- this is what the Israelites were doing after the Philistines defeated them. They were blaming God for what had happened to them. Now, it's important for us to understand that God is sovereign and that he is in control, yes. And there are times where he allows certain things to happen to us in order to test our faith and build our character. But God does not go out of his way to cause bad things to happen to us. And it's important for us to understand that. Another thing that we need to understand is just because we are Christians and we live a Christian life and we believe in Jesus, that does not exempt us from problems that happen. It doesn't exempt us from things that go on. In fact, Jesus tells us that there will be trials, there will be tribulations, there will be things that you will face in this life. He reminds us that these things will happen, but he also says, but take heart, for I have already overcome the world. And so there is hope beyond that. He tells us that there are things that are going to be happening. And so in life, there will be things that happen. And we need to learn not to blame God for the things that happen to us. So many times we can quickly blame God and end up walking away from the church or our faith or things because of the things that happen to us. And it's important for us to realize that it's not God's fault. We may ask the question, God, why didn't you save my family member from that accident? Or God, why did you allow me to lose my job? Or God, why did you allow me to marry that person knowing that they were this way? 
Or God, why aren't you blessing me financially? Or why did you let him or her get away with that, God? There are so many things and so many questions we can have, and many times we blame God because we're looking for someone to blame. And you know, human nature, unfortunately, causes us to sometimes want to put the blame on other people. From the very beginning, we see with Adam and Eve and them sinning against God. And what did Adam do? Well, he blamed Eve. It's the woman that you put here with me. It's her fault that we ate this fruit. Blaming other people is a tendency that we need to start breaking. And in order for us to start to see revival, we need to understand that it is not God's fault that that happened. And we need to learn from the situation. You know, when we're so busy arguing and grumbling and complaining and filled with blaming other people, we sometimes don't get to see in the midst of the situation what God is doing in our lives, what God is trying to teach us, what he's trying to keep us from or where he's trying to take us. Many times we can miss those things because we're too busy looking for someone to blame for what happens to us. Things will happen in our lives, and many of you have experienced and will experience different things, different troubles and tribulations that you will go through, but be reminded that Jesus tells us that he has already overcome the world, and we need to remember that he is with us, and he will help us, and he wants to see us through. It doesn't mean that life is going to be an easy journey, but it does remind us that he will be with us every step of the way. So there are times where God allows certain things to happen in our lives to test our faith and to build our character. But let's be real here for a second. There are times where things happen in our lives because of the poor choices that we have made as well. There are consequences to our actions, and sometimes we go through problems, whatever you want to call it, issues, trials, tribulations, because it's a consequence or a repercussion for the things that we have done. And so there are times where we need to take responsibility and own up and stop blaming God for everything that happens. The Israelites blamed God for what happened. How could God cause us to lose? How could he cause us to be defeated? They had the wrong attitude. You see, because they had won battle after battle after battle, they were going into this battle basically expecting to win. They were going into this battle no longer depending upon God to give them victory and depending upon his strength and his power, but they were going in feeling, we've won. Nothing's going to stop us now. They basically were feeling that it was now them, and God allowed them to be defeated to teach them a lesson. And so the Israelites couldn't understand why they were defeated by the Philistines, but they came up with a solution. They thought to themselves in verse 3, we read, let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. 
So the people sent men to Shiloh and brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant back. And so the Ark of God was now with them. They thought to themselves, let's go bring the Ark of the Covenant into the camp, and this basically will be a sure win for us. They thought once they had this, they would win. Now, in case you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant was, the Ark of the Covenant was basically a box-like um, object that was overlaid with gold. So it was made of wood, a specific kind of wood, and overlaid with gold. It was one of the furnishings that God had instructed Moses that needed to be put into the tabernacle and then later the permanent structure, the temple. And this was what was in the most holy place or the holy of holies that was not exposed to the common person. So this Ark of the Covenant on top had carved figures that were cherubim with their wings extending and touching each other. And that seat was called the mercy seat, which was basically where God's presence dwelt. In short, this box represented God's presence to the people. It was a symbol of God's presence. Understand that this box that represented God's presence had no power on its own. It simply represented God's presence to his people. Are you following me? It was not powerful or magical or anything on its own. It simply was a symbol to remind the people that God was with them. So the Israelites thought, we're going to bring this box into the camp and we're going to win. The Beacon Bible commentary says, because of the sacredness of the ark and connecting it with the presence of God, the Israelites determined to take it into battle as a sort of a charm to ensure victory. You see, they began to use this box, this Ark of the Covenant, as a lucky charm, basically. They looked upon it as a lucky charm to take into battle, to protect them from their enemies, and it now started to get close to the line of idol worship. The people put their trust in this Ark of the Covenant. They put their trust in this box, which was only a symbol that represented God's presence, but was not God himself. It was a symbol to them. They expected to win because this box was present, and in the end, God allowed them to again be defeated. Verse 10 says, so the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. You see, they had the wrong idea because of this box. They felt this box, this ark of the covenant, once it's in our presence, once it's in the camp, we're going to win. It's a sure win because basically they were looking upon this box as God himself. And in order for us to get ready 
for revival, it is so important that we understand this, that no kind of statue, no symbol, or no charm can save us. Only Jesus can. There is no statue, symbol, or charm that can save us. And they thought to themselves, this Ark of the Covenant will save us from our enemies. That's what they said. They looked upon this Ark of the Covenant as something that would save them. But it's so important for us to understand that there is nothing in this world that can save us except for Jesus Christ. So many people go to these horseshoes or four-leaf clovers or this and that or this magical oil or this holy water or this anointing oil. And all of those things can be, they're symbols, but they have no power on their own. It is only Jesus Christ who has the power to help us and to save us. And, you know, there are times, and I don't want to uh, downplay the importance of uh, anointing with oil and praying, but even when we anoint with oil, understand that there is no power in the oil that we put on you. It is just representing God's Holy Spirit, and it's God's power working through you. But it's not the oil. It's not water. It's not a four-leaf clover. It's not even a cross that you hang in your house that has power. It is is Jesus Christ alone. Those things are only symbols to remind us and to point us to the one who truly has ultimate power and authority over our life. Pastor Nick quoted the scripture, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we can trust in the Lord God Almighty in the name of Jesus. There are so many different beliefs in this world there are so many different things that we can look to, that we can put our trust in, that we can look to protect us and to save us. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He tells us that he is the only one who is able to save us. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It is Jesus Christ alone. And when we smash those symbols, when we get rid of all of those things, we can start to see revival because we are understanding that Jesus alone is able to save us. There is nothing else in this world that can save us, only him. God reminds us that he is. He says, I am. I am. He doesn't just say, I am this, I am that. He says when he revealed himself to Moses, I am. Because there are just so many things he is to put one name on him limits who he is. He says, I am. I am. We serve a great and mighty God who is so big, who is so awesome, who cannot be confined to an object. He is not a man-made thing. He is beyond our understanding. He is beyond our comprehension. He is bigger than us. The one who holds us in the palm of his hand, the one who created us, the one who sustains us, he is in control. He he is the one who saves us. And we can look to him and to trust him, knowing that he is indeed the uh, one who is in control. In verse 6, it tells us, when they learned that the ark of the Lord, that is the Philistines, 
The ark of the Lord had come into the camp. The Philistines were afraid. A god has come into this camp, they said. Oh no, nothing like this has happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with the kinds of plagues in the wilderness. You see, when the Philistines learned that the Ark of the Covenant, that basically God, their feeling, came into this camp, they still did not understand who God was and is. They looked upon it as the one of the many gods, because they believed that there were many gods, had come into this camp. So you see that they pluralize it in saying, a god has come into this camp. And so they are looking upon this god of the, Philist, as, of the Israelites as one of the many gods as they believe it to be. So they're now scared because a god has come and entered into this camp and they're worried about being defeated. They still did not understand because we see the Philistines' polytheistic thinking, that is the belief in many gods. In their minds, they could not understand that there is only one god. They thought to themselves, this is just one of the many gods. And there are many people today who still don't understand how one God could do all of this. How one God could do all of this and create that and sustain this and do that. It just doesn't make sense to them. But in order for us to start to see revival, to get ready for revival, we need to acknowledge that there is only one true living God, and that is Jesus Christ. There is only one true living God, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus makes it clear that he is the only one. He also makes it clear that I and the Father are one. And so when we speak of Jesus, we are speaking of God himself. In the Old Testament, that one true living God was often referred to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob so that the people would understand who God was referring to or the God that they were referring to. Today, as born-again Christians, we acknowledge Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. He is the one true living God. The Philistines were afraid because they had heard of the God of the Israelites and they knew how he had struck the Egyptians with all sorts of plagues. And although they knew these things to be true, notice that they still did not believe in this God. They still did not acknowledge him as the one true living God, but yet one of their many gods in their mind. You see, there are many people who will still see the wonders and the miracles that God performs, but not put their faith and trust in God yet. They need to see someone. It's difficult for people to believe something without seeing it. It's difficult for them to believe in a one who they have not seen, who they cannot touch, who's not tangible to them. But Jesus says, blessed is he who believes yet has not seen. It is by faith that we believe in this.
this one true living God. And God proves himself to us over and over again in speaking to us, in blessing us, in his Holy Spirit ministering to us. And even though we cannot physically see God, we see his hand at work in so many different ways. He is the one true living God. And he tells us that there is no one that compares to him, that we aren't to have any other gods before him because he is the one who deserves all of our worship, all of our praise. And it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what we believe. It does not change the fact that he is the one true living God. And he tells us that there is a day coming that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Are you ready for that day? Are you ready for that day? Or do you need to get ready? Because today can be that day where you stop wondering, am I ready? And you start getting ready. You get ready for revival. Today can be that day. In order for us to get ready for revival, we need to stop blaming God for our problems and start taking responsibility. We need to understand that no statue, symbol, charm, or even person can save us. Only Jesus Christ can. And we need to acknowledge that there is only one true living God, and his name is Jesus Christ. You see, it's in Christ alone that our hope is found. And this morning, I believe that there are some of you here today who are going through different things. And maybe there's a point in your life where at some point you did blame God for something that happened to you, or you blame God for something that currently is happening to you or your family or loved ones or a health situation or job situation or whatever. And you need to say, God, instead of me feeling angry and bitter and upset towards you. Help me. Help me, Lord, to trust you through this. Help me to look to you and to see what it is you're doing and teaching me and wanting me to learn in this experience. Maybe today you need to say, God, help me to trust you and only you. Help me, oh God, to put you first, to be the one that you use to tell other people about you, to acknowledge that you truly are the one true living God. That, Lord, I'm not going to trust in this. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to look to this for protection. But God, only you, because you are the one who is in control. Whatever it is today, let us pray. Heavenly Father, indeed, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, O oh God, for the fact that you are bigger than our imagination, that you are bigger than our minds can comprehend, that you are bigger and greater than anything that we will ever be able to imagine in this life. And God, we pray that you would help us not to just put you in a box, but to understand that you are so much bigger. And God, we pray that you would help us that no matter what we go through, that Lord, we would not blame you for the things that we have gone through 
or are going through or will go through, but that, Lord, we would trust you and know that you are in control and that you walk with us through this journey. Lord, help us to put aside the different things that we may put our trust in, the different symbols or people or things that we may look to for help and strength and protection and all of those different things to save us and to know that you truly are the only one who can save us. Lord, we acknowledge that you are the one true living God, the one who is worthy of all praise. And Lord, we know that it is in Christ alone that our hope is found. And so, Lord, may you be honored and glorified in our life. We desire to see revival. We desire to see your hand move in our lives. And so, God, we surrender ourselves to you once again, anew and afresh. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand?